are listening to Meet and Write, a podcast that dives into liturgical worship and how communion really begins after church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Just for a few minutes, I want you to think of Jesus from a historical perspective. From just from a historical perspective. Something that every single human being on planet Earth would agree with is that there was a man 2,000 years ago that was extremely inspirational, a highly motivational speaker, a very influential person that changed the course of history. Every human being, regardless of your beliefs, your faith, every person would believe there is historical evidence of this man from Nazareth named Jesus. Born in Israel, born in Bethlehem, every historian, every human being can agree with that. If they believe that he is divine, that's another story. But everyone believed that this was a historical man that had an inspirational or influential impact on the course of history. Everybody knows that. What made Jesus so inspirational that historians know and find astonishing is that he came into the scene of Israel as as a religious leader. People labeled him as a religious leader. He was a Jewish leader. That's how many people viewed him. And the custom of that, of that time, of that place, is that you, there's labels for people. Just like how we give labels to people subconsciously, or like on, on Hush Hush Talk, we label people. They did the same thing. Oh, over there, these are the Pharisees. These, these are the Sadducees. These are, or these, are, these are the Samaritans. And they labeled people kind of in classes. And this was like how people talked, by, by labeling people this way. What made Jesus so amazing? He removed all those labels. Like all those adjectives people gave, oh, these are, these are, these are the lepers. These, those are the Pharisees. Those are the scribes. That he completely obliterated those labels. People who were nothing like Jesus liked him. People who were nothing like him liked him. There was something about Jesus that attracted such a wide array of people to come to him. People expected Jesus to label people as Pharisees, like these are the high class people, these people know the Bible, these people don't. You don't, talk to the, you don't talk to the Samaritans, you don't talk to the lepers. They expected Jesus to label people that way. But in reality, Jesus used a completely different set of adjectives to label people. Lost and found dead and alive. Jesus went around, and the only thing that captured his attention, his eyes, who's dead? Who needs to be alive? Who's lost? Who needs to be found? This is the only label that he gave, and this was what made him such an inspirational person that historians believe, and we believe so much more than that he was just a great speaker and, and did a bunch of fancy miracles. We know that this is him. We know that this is him. We know that he is God, incarnate. Today is the last part of the 15th chapter of Luke, where Jesus is talking, giving a sermon, and he looks at the audience, and he sees such different groups. He sees so many different groups in the audience. He sees some shepherds over there. He sees some women over there. He sees some, he sees some fathers. He sees some young families. So he sees such a wide array of different people. So Jesus says, okay, as him being such a great speaker, gave a talk to target different groups. 
So he began this sermon in Luke 15 and said, Shepherds, just suppose that you got a hundred sheep. Just suppose you got a hundred sheep. And one of them decides to stray off and kind of go his own way. What would you do? The shepherd said, yeah, go get it. That, that's my hundred sheep. I need the sheep. And she says, okay, so you, you, you value that sheep, right? You would leave the 99 to make sure you go get that one and bring it back in. The shepherd said, yeah, yeah, we would do that. Then Jesus says, ladies, you know that fancy like headset you got with like the, not headset, but the, the thing on your head with the, with the coins? You know that fancy thing you got? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know that. Suppose you lose one of them. Like, I know those 10 coins are extremely valuable. And I know you need that to get married. So what, what if you lose that? What, imagine if you lose one coin and you lost it somewhere, might have gone under the couch or under the rug, or you lost it with the dishes or whatever. What would you do? Oh, Jesus, we would, we would make sure, we would, sweat, we would take all everything out of the house to make sure we find that last coin. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, I know you would. Then he says, all right, listen to this story that I'm going to give, which we know as a parable. And Jesus gave this story. He said, suppose there was a man, a father, who had two sons. One, said, one son came to the father and said, like, Dad, like, you're great and everything, and like, I know you're kind of getting old and stuff. Like, let's pretend like you die right now and, like, you give me your inheritance. Let's just pretend. Like, I mean, God forbid, I want you to live there. May God keep you many years of peaceful times. Yeah, of course, Dad. But let's just pretend that you die right now. Like, why don't you just give me my inheritance now? Like, let's just cut to it. Like, let's, let's just give me what, what is mine now. The father's stuck. The father's torn. The father wants his son relationally. The father wants his son relationally more than anything else. But he looks at his son. Every dinner, his son is just sitting there on his phone, on Snapchat. He's not caring about anybody. He has his headphones in, not talking to anybody. He's there physically, but he's nowhere to be found emotionally. He's nowhere to be found relationally. He cares less about, he cares less about his other brother. He cares less about his dad. He's in his own little world. The father said, because I love you so much, and because I want you relationally, you can go. Here, you, you, want, you want your money? Here's the account for bank, the bank. Go, go get your stuff. He didn't want to, but he wanted his son relationally. He wanted his son relationally. In order to keep his son relationally, he knew that he had to let him go. You know the rest of the story. The son leaves living the high life in his own little world. He thinks he's on cloud nine. He reaches a point in his journey where he starts missing home. But he doesn't know if home is missing him. He's rock bottom. He looks around and he says, what am I doing? Like, I lived such a beautiful life before. Like, my father was good compassionate, loving, merciful. And now, because of my selfishness, because of my brokenness, because of my own sins, I, I brought myself to this point. I'm eating with, with pigs and swines. Like, how did I get to this point? Jesus wrote down that the son came to himself, what we just read, that he came to himself, that he realized, what am I doing? Like, I, my father was so loving, so passionate, so merciful, and loves me beyond belief. And I left all that for what? 
that he came to himself and realized that. And at that point, he said, I need to go back to my dad. I need to get up. What am I doing? I need to come back. But I, I need to have a game plan. If I'm going back to my dad, I need to have a game plan. I can't just, like, like I'm going to come back and say, Dad, I, I know I messed up. And, like, I'll do, like, I, I, like, I messed up. I just want to be a servant. I just want to be the person that, like, cleans your house. I, I want, like, I just want to be in your house. I just want to be close to you, Dad. I messed up. I just want to become close to you. I just, that's all I want. And he had this whole spiel set, ready. He knew exactly what he was going to say right when he starts coming back home. He was missing home, but he wasn't sure if home was missing him. And as he was coming, and just the father seeing him just from the corner, like just, is that him? Is that my, is that my son? The second the dad saw him from far, the son ran to him, sprinted to him, didn't say a word, and just embraced him and brought him in. This father, full of mercy and full of truth, full of judgment, out of tough love, but also the lover of mankind. There is a term that we use in church that captures this truth of this dad. There's a term that we use for a dad that is, that is righteous and, and, and judges out of love, tough love, but at the same time, he loves all of humanity more than we'll ever know. Anybody know what that term is that we use in church and in prayer? God, the Father, the Pantocrator. Yeah, it's one of those churchy words, Pantocrator, we just say it all, Paraclete, Agios, kind of like all these big, weird Greek words. God knows what all that stuff means. And we just say it, Pantocrator, yeah, yeah, God's for Pantocrator. What does that mean? What does that mean? I know you've heard it probably eight times already this morning. What is Pantocrator? Pan, like let's break, it, break up the word. Pan, like we say pandemic, is something that affects everybody. So pan is all. Krator is strength, dominion, power. So if I, the, 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 the definition of Pantocrator is the ruler of all. Ruler of all. But so much more than that. That's why we're using the Greek word and not just saying that God is, a, is the ruler of all. That God is... Out of his strength and dominion, he has strength and dominion and love for all to completeness. That's the literal definition of, of Pantocrator, that he has dominion, strength, and power to completeness. He is there to, out of his strength, his love, and dominion for us, and he is there to bring us to him completely to completeness. And which is, what is completeness? Is us ultimately becoming one with him as we're with him in the heavenly Jerusalem. He is a righteous judge and the lover of mankind. He is the ruler of all with his strength and dominion to completeness. And till we are all restored, which comes when we meet him in heaven. This icon here, I, like this icon has a huge like, personal impact on me. And I got this as, as a Christmas present because I love this icon so much. This icon, actually, let me do this. This icon is from the 6th century. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the picture. 
This icon is something that was found in the Sinai Desert, in a monastery from the 6th century. And it's called the Pantsokrator, the icon of the Pantsokrator. Why? Why is the title the Pantsokrator? Again, what, what are icons? Are icons like when I kiss this, is it, am I just kissing the, the wood, the paint, the plastic that probably, from wherever? Am I, am I kissing that? No. This is a window into heaven. This icon is a window into heaven. It gives me a glimpse and it teaches me eternal truth that leads me to the healing of life, that leads me to completeness. This, if I, me meditating and, 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 and reading this icon is there for healing. It's there for healing. This icon, what's so beautiful about it? The eyes. It just pierces you. The eyes just pierce you. But if you study the icon even more, you notice that it's not symmetrical. It's not symmetrical at all. One side of Jesus' face, you see his, 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 his eyebrow is kind of firm. His eyes are a little bit squinted. He looks a bit older on one side. But the other side is so youthful, full of joy. And it's hard maybe for you to see it because you see it all together. But you can, you can Google this. If you, if you type in 6th century Pantocrator icon, you'll see the study of, of, of how it's not symmetrical. And if you take one side and replicate it, you'll see a very joyful and youthful and loving father. And if you take the other side and duplicate it, you see this firm, tough love dad. He is the Pantocrator, the ruler of all, that out of his strength and dominion and power, he's there to bring us to fullness. We see in our Heavenly Father that he's love, the lover of mankind, like we say, but at the same time, he's our righteous judge. Many of us only see Jesus firm. He's there to smite me because I came late to church. See this, I know this, thing, this bad thing happened because I'm not fasting. This is how we think of, of Jesus. But we forget about the loving Father. That he just saw his son from afar. He says, come here. You don't even say a word. Don't, don't even give me that stuff about you and be, that you just want to do whatever. You're, you belong in my house. Like, I love you more than you'll ever know. Our Heavenly Father. If you also look at the icon, you see... Actually, I'm sorry. You see a star on the top right. You see a star on the top right. And it's an eight-pointed star. Why did they put eight points to a star in the 6th century? It's a symbol, and to remind us, eight, eight is, is a symbolic number of a new life. Like seven is full, is complete. Eight is a new life, a new beginning. Eighth day is a new life. With him, we, we can begin a new life. That son came to Jesus wanting a new life. That son said, I did something bad. Now I got I to gotta work my way back up. But his dad said, no, just come. You can begin a new life today. You have come to me. You've come to yourself. You've come to your senses. You want to begin a new life? I'm right here. Just come. And he kissed him. The Pantocrator is there to give us new life. Him being the righteous judge, but also being the lover of mankind. What I'm saying is captured beautifully in the hymns. 
It's captured beautifully in the hymns. Well, we, we just said the hymn, Ab in Choice, Our Lord. One of the verses says, I have sinned, I have sinned. My Lord Jesus, forgive me. For there is no servant without sin. There is no master without forgiveness. There's no servant without sin. There's no master. There's no father without forgiveness. There's a hymn that we're going to sing in about 10 minutes in liturgy. That's a special hymn during Lent. And the words are this. Lord, I know that you are good, compassionate, and merciful. Remember me in your mercy unto the ages of the ages. Like outside of time, I want you to remember me and your mercy. Not just right now, forever and ever. This is the words that son said when he was with the pigs. He said, I know, I know, I know my father over there is good, compassionate, merciful. Dad, remember me in your mercy. As the son got up, and he, as he was preparing, okay, what am I going to say to my dad? What am I going to say to my dad when I get there? What am I going to say? He said the second verse, which is the, the hymn. I ask you, O oh my Lord Jesus, do not rebuke me with your anger, nor reprove my ignorance with your wrath. Rebuke is like, don't, don't critique me. Don't criticize me with your anger. Don't reprimand me for my ignorance. Like, I, I know I'm dumb. I know I make mistakes. But the more I look at myself, I see that it, uh, my ignorance, I'm, I'm the one that, that, that's selfish and says, I, I don't need God, I can do this by myself. I'm the one that put myself in this. But don't, critic, don't, don't reprove me with your anger. Don't reprimand me because of my ignorance. But I'm coming to you as a broken child. I'm coming to you, like I came to myself and realized, what am I doing? I was dead, but I need to become alive. I'm lost. And I want to be found. And these are the only terms that dad cared about. I don't care about anything. I don't care about it. You're dead or alive. You're lost or you're found. This is, this is the only thing that Jesus is asking you and asking me. Are you dead or are you alive? Are you lost or you're found? Don't sit there, oh yeah, I mean that person, like that family member I have, they never come to church, they're definitely lost. The other son, he was in the house. Do you label him lost or do you label him found? Don't think, don't ever think. Just because we're here, you're found. Don't ever think that. Just because you're here does not mean you're found. It takes time for us to look inside. What parts of my life is lost that I'm kind of hiding away from God that needs to be come to him and be embraced by his love? The hymn will sing. Don't just sing it, but pray it. Lord, I know you are good, compassionate, and merciful. Remember me in your mercy unto the ages of the ages. I ask you, O my Lord Jesus, do not critique me. Do not rebuke me with your anger. Nor reprimand me. Don't rebuke me for my ignorance with your wrath. And then we sing, Alleluia. Which, Alleluia means praise God. Praise Yahweh. Praise God. Alleluia. Jesus Christ fasted for us. He set the template for me to be healed by setting the, the model of fasting, 40 days and 40 nights. And then we say, holy, 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 Lord of hosts. All of heaven and all of earth are full of your glory, which is the words that Isaiah heard as he had a glimpse of heaven, and which we read in Revelation. Think of this hymn as a journey. I, I know my dad is merciful, compassionate, and merc good, compassionate, and merciful.
Lord, remember me. I ask you, my Lord, do not, do not rebuke me with your anger, nor approve my ignorance with your wrath. Lord, you fasted for us 40 days and 40 nights, setting the model for me to live by that will give me healing. And when I come to you, what other words can I say that all of heaven, I say, holy are you, O Lord. All of heaven, all of earth are full of your glory. It begins with acknowledging, knowing who the Pantocrator is, and it ends with praise. This is our journey. This is the journey of liturgy, and this is the journey of this hymn. So when we pray this hymn, pray. Don't just stare at a screen. Look at the screen. Obviously, you don't, you don't know the words. Look at the screen, but pray it. Pray it. To him be all the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You have been listening to Meet and Write. For more episodes and resources, make sure to check out CopticHymnsInEnglish.com.